knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And on today's episode, we have a special guest with us and we're going to be talking about marriage. And this is something we've been wanting to do a podcast on for so long. And I was looking for the right guest, had my I out and through a series of events, I got to meet Tay Shin and he is, I think you're the director of Titus 2 Ministries, correct? Yes. Hi, hi Colleen and Angela. It's uh, a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm very excited. And uh, I am, well, we use the term director in a few ways, but uh, 15 years ago, I did start this ministry. So whatever title that means, I guess I'm a founder. Um, I do have other people that function as directors, but we are a uh, full-blown uh, marriage counseling and also pastor's training uh, ministry that we started 15 years ago. And you also, this is really important, we're going to link all of this in our episode notes, but you do counseling and one of the things that you do is you do counseling like online. And so yes, I do. Uh -huh. all over so, the world too. Yeah, it's just very exciting. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, it's almost a no brainer in, in the age of technology that we're in. But, um, you know, I've been doing this for over 33 years. And, you know, the majority of those years were, you know, low, just people had to be physically, you know, next to you. But now with Wi-Fi and all the online capabilities, I'm all over the world. And it's just so exciting to be in different continents, countries, and remote areas where people don't have um, resources, mentors, counselors. And so it's just been very exciting to, to be able to connect with people from uh, wherever they are and whatever device too. I think that's just, uh, just so awesome that uh, it can be a phone, it can be a tablet, any device. And, uh, connect. So yes, that is what I'm doing. That, that's been really exciting for us too with yeah. the podcast. We have mm -hmm. listeners all over the world. Exactly. I, uh -huh. I went one time and counted how many countries that our podcast has reached and it was 101, which that's I was awesome. just yeah. shocked by that. Yeah. And so it's really the same thing. All of these different yeah. types of uh, formats and products are just blessing people and reaching areas that 
could not have been reached uh, in the past. So this is great. In our group, we have women from from 18 years old to 80 years old. Oh, that's and, great. But a large percentage of them, I think the greatest percentage are in their 20s and 30s. We have a okay. lot of women who are newly married. Um, we mm-hmm. have many that are engaged, many that are single. And what are some things that really are going to build a strong foundation for a godly marriage or things that are going to contribute to building that strong foundation? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Colleen. And I'm, I'm going to speak from my experiences and uh, I'm also going to, to the best of my ability, uh, communicate my commitment to the scriptures. Because I have found from my years of counseling that people just don't know the word of God. Uh, when it comes to uh, Christian marriage, um, a lot of their uh, understanding and knowledge is very generic. And so when you're asking about a strong foundation, I mean, we have to go back to the original tool, the original foundation, which is the scriptures. So uh, if I may, uh, I'd like to just point out quickly three areas that I think ought to be the foundation of a Christian marriage. And number one is personal study. And I'm talking about the word of God. Uh, how it is completely sufficient in building healthy marriages. It is the authority of our lives. It's written to give us hope. And, you know, I I could go on and on, but I know that your awesome podcast, you know, elaborates on that in other episodes. But, um, you know, I spend a lot of time teaching people through the Word because they just don't know what the Bible says about it. So it's the Word of God that ultimately is the foundation. And by being so, Uh, the process then becomes the renewing of the mind as you engage the word, Romans chapter 12, uh, the the renewing of the mind, there's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, taking every thought captive. And so with all of these things, definitely every marriage needs to be founded on the knowledge of the word of God. And you cannot, I can't emphasize this enough, have a healthy marriage without knowledge of the word and then how to apply it. And then let that word just allow true transformation to work in your life. So that's number one. I want to mention three things. Uh, The second is personal reliance on the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm not a magician. You know, we're not here. We're not miracle workers. We're we're jars of clay. We're just messengers. And so it's it's the Holy Spirit that takes the word and, and does the work. And boy, we could talk on and on about that. But I definitely talk about that. Uh, in counseling as well. And so there's definitely a spiritual, I mean, Holy Spirit himself uh, work that is done. And so he is part of that foundation. And then the third one is uh, personal mentoring. And so we've got personal study, personal reliance on the Holy Spirit, and now personal mentoring. And I just really believe that God calls us to have mentors in our lives. And then as we grow, that we have to have then protégés in our life where we're passing down the faith. And too many people married today have this attitude that they got to figure it out on their own and uh, somehow, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and try to make this work. And that's just simply not God's plan. In fact, that's why I named my ministry Titus 2 Ministries, because in that passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it is really that dynamic of older uh, being involved in the lives of the younger passing down the faith and teaching them how to have healthy marriages and living faithful lives. And somewhere in there, counseling is is part of it, mentoring, and all of this is really part of the foundation of how we grow. And so uh, 
that's kind of my answer in a nutshell. I'm sure, you know, there's other things, but I just think too many people today are looking for just the latest tips or trends or tools or something that somebody packaged really nicely, you know, with all the bells and whistles. But at the end of the day, it's about the word of God. That is our foundation and the Holy Spirit that uses it to transform lives. And that's often done in mentoring situations. So that's what I think is the foundation of a marriage. And then, of course, from there comes all the details of the marriage that needs to be worked on. And that's really what our podcast is all about, because yeah. we, we say that it is, we want to encourage women in the study of God's word. Definitely. And, mm-hmm. and so many, like you said, so many people today do not know the word of God. Yeah. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that you emphasized yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Tay, as you were talking about um, the mentoring, it just really made me think about, um, we have many listeners as well who are not married yet, or maybe they're preparing for marriage. Um, And it really made me think that that mentoring could really be helpful to them as well. Um, Are there other things that you would um, advise people who are preparing for marriage um, to get ready for that? Oh, absolutely. And I really appreciated the way you articulated that. And and uh, in fact, uh, part of my counseling does involve uh, mentoring singles. Singles do uh, approach me and ask for counseling. They're very interested. I mean, who's more interested than singles about the next chapter of life, you know, dating and, and engagement and what marriage is like. And so I, I just love uh, engaging singles and helping them. To me, that's like one of the ultimate applications of Titus chapter two, older teaching the younger, passing down the faith, articulating what the next chapter is life, uh, like. And so definitely we want to get singles inspired to look for mentors in the next chapter of life. And, and by the way, that's what it's all about. It's about a successful transition into the next chapter of life. And so, uh, just thinking about God's design from that perspective, we definitely want single women uh, to to be engaged in this and and be connected to married women and and counselors as well. And when those those married women are investing in the lives of single women, they can really learn a lot. I think I've had young women in my life that I knew when they were single, not dating, and then when they were dating a young man, and then when they were engaged, and then when they got married, and we continued that relationship all the way through. And then as they got married, my husband and I were um, spending time with her and her husband. Yeah. And so they're long-term relationships too, I think. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing, and that's how it should be. And you know, just thinking about what you just said and how in in the world or the, even the Christian world right now, you just don't see that. Everybody is disconnected. There's kind of an emphasis on individualism or Jesus as your personal savior. And uh, you just sort of walk with him by yourself. And so, yeah, I really think we need to get back to God's design of people being in our lives long term uh, through the various chapters of life and and, and just living life. In fact, if I may, just for a second, uh, say something a little technical about Titus 2. You know, Titus 2, where it says older teaching the younger, um, the word there really is not teach in the original Greek. The word is say. So I don't even know why it's translated teach. Maybe because the overall context does have an emphasis on discipling, has a general feel about teaching, but the word is say. 
meaning it's more about a conversation. It's more about casual everyday life. It's about going to a coffee shop and sitting down with somebody who is in the next chapter of life and just talking, saying. And now you're not just transferring some textbook information, but you're transferring, you know, lifestyle and character and perspectives, failures, victories, applications of how marriage works. And so that's why I believe the original word it, it, it intended for life engagement and does not in any way depict any kind of sterile classroom, you know, like some seminary classroom with a professor teaching, nothing like that at all. But it is the older teaching the younger in very real life situations. So absolutely, Angela, I, I love that example of, you know, going through the different chapters of life, you're engaging them, you know, in, in very casual ways that are very, very powerful. You know, you're talking about um, saying and that ongoing conversation. Of course, that makes me think about communication in marriage and how important that is. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas for us on how we can cultivate good communication in our marriages? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Um, Communication is the key to building a healthy marriage. Everybody says that Christian counselors, non-Christian counselors, it is the key. And uh, the way that we cultivate good communication, um, first of all, is we, again, I'm going to go back many times and say, we got to know the word because it is about the word of God that is applied into our lives. And in this case, in areas of communication, you need to know the word uh, and to be able to apply it. And I'm going to say, you need to know each other, talking about husband and wife. Because knowledge is a prerequisite for a relationship. You can't have a relationship with someone without that knowledge. And communication is the way that knowledge is passed. And so definitely it is the key. And when I do counseling, I really take my time with this. I don't uh, rush through it. I tell them up front that communication has many subcategories and each one uh, can be a session unto itself. In fact, there are five major categories, and, and uh, I'm just going to just mention them briefly and, and say a couple words about them. If you want me to elaborate, uh, I'll do so. But the five are, and I'll just say them first and then go back and, and comment on it. Number one is verbal. Number two is nonverbal. Three is wisdom and timing. Four is gender differences. Five is listening. And so those are the five major areas that uh, communication is involved. And uh, you really need knowledge of those five areas and how to apply God's word in them. So, for example, number one, verbal. That's all the words. And boy, you know, that can go really well or it can go turn out really bad. There's over-talking, under-talking. There's abusive words, edifying words. And then there are times you just have to be quiet and stop talking. You know, there's healing words. And so verbal is a major category. Number two is nonverbal. And nonverbal, all experts say, uh, is huge. Some will say that it's even more important because uh, the receiver gets the nonverbal cues before the words. So we're talking facial gestures, body language, proximity, things like distance, uh, tone of voice. Wow. Isn't that a big one for ladies? Um, ladies will often say, right. and rightly so, rightly so, they'll say, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. 
and they're often impacted by it. And so wives will often say, why are you so angry? You know, and respond like that. And the guy gets confused saying, I'm not angry, but the woman is responding to the tone. So nonverbal, the second category is a huge one. And unfortunately, that's not talked about enough. We need to have more seminars and, and, and writings and blogs and talks about this. The third one is a really, really important one, and I call it wisdom and timing. And what that means is that whatever moment you are in, that moment may not be the right time to speak. You know, you might have experienced that where your words may be right, but the timing is completely wrong. And so even though the content is good, but the, the context is not right. And so you'll get hurt and you'll get offended. And you might say to your husband, you know what? I appreciate what you're saying, but not now. I don't need to hear that right now. And so I run across this all the time in counseling and actually have a major section where I go through the scriptures and uh, teach them how to weigh the moment, understand the moment and be able to speak at the right time. And sometimes it will involve waiting for the right time. And sometimes it will involve creating the right time to speak. So that's the third category. The fourth one is huge. And that's gender differences. I think most people know that men and women are different. Our brains are different. The way we process information, the way that we see marriage is so different. And understanding these gender differences are very important. And uh, uh, in a nutshell, women use words to build relationships, whereas men use words to accomplish a task. And so sometimes there's huge misunderstandings because of that. So I do spend time talking about that. And then the fifth one, very important as well, is listening. And so communication is not just talking, but sometimes you just have to be uh, what James uh, says in chapter one, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And uh, listening is a major experience of bonding and support, right? I mean, a lot of times uh, women don't want the answer. They just want the husband to listen and sympathize. And then there's the higher level empathize and to be able to really uh, support them through difficult times. And so sometimes men are just too quick to speak and give solutions, but I think listening is a major uh, part of the communication. So there you go. You got the five categories that I spend months in um, counseling. And again, as I said, people come usually when things are so bad and so broken, I end up going through these five categories uh, in great detail. Again, one is verbal, uh, then nonverbal, wisdom and timing, gender differences, and listening. Those are the five that I usually give homework, and we labor to go through it. And boy, it's just not easy uh, to develop godly communication. So uh, uh, I think my point is, if we uh, focus on those five categories, that uh, that is the plan for how we cultivate good communication in our marriages. Those were just excellent. And as you were talking, I was even thinking of my own marriage and the things that the, those five different points, even when you were talking about wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I, I know for my husband and I, when we were newly married, I functioned one way. If there was a conflict, I wanted to deal with it now. I wanted to get all of my words out now. He wanted to have a few moments to process things before he was ready to talk. And we really had to learn how each other was different. 
and, yes. and learn to have fruitful communication. Because if we came together at the wrong time, very often we would say things that we later regretted, later had to re- apologize for. And yes. so, but I love that you focus on building a strong marriage, not waiting till things are horrible. And right. now we now it's an emergency to fix it. But let's let's cultivate strong marriages from the start. Let's not wait till things are horrible. And I right. I appreciate that. What are some other important aspects of marriage that that should be focused on to build a strong foundation? Okay, so um, definitely a, a great question there. <laughs> I think this question. Uh, if we were to do justice, it would take several hours to unpack, but let me just take a couple minutes here real quick, that um, there are five major areas in marriage that need to be addressed. Communication is number one, and I've already talked about that. That's the verbal, nonverbal timing, gender differences and listening. But uh, let me just quickly introduce the other major categories. Uh, the second one is conflict resolution. And uh, by the way, I go over all these five when, again, couples come to me and it's, things are so bad that they really have to go through all five in order to uh, get their marriage back on track. And so the second one is conflict resolution. And just like communication, each one of these five have so many subcategories. So just real quick, underneath conflict resolution, you're dealing with everything that's now going to break the relationship. So you got sin and how sin grows. And that's a huge piece that most people don't you know, fully understand, how, how sin makes you delusional in your thinking and how the Bible talks about sin in those terms. Then there's another big piece here, and that is anger. Usually it's the guy, but women have anger issues too. There's depression. There's midlife crisis, unmet expectations. There are many reasons why we fight. There's painful memories, and the list goes on and on into forgiveness and and bitterness. And so conflict resolution, I'm going to say, is just as big as the first one, communication, where there are major subcategories. And, you know, in counseling, this is the reason why that uh, the marriage is broken. They allowed all this conflict to now reign in their relationship. And so it's going to take some time to unpack uh, these things. So that's number two. Number three, uh, I'll go over real quick here, is uh, in-laws. In-laws is big. And um, I tell you, it doesn't matter what culture, what ethnic background you have, everybody has in-law challenges. Um, So, I mean, underneath this, you know, there's major categories, subcategories underneath this one too, right? Like, uh, did you really leave your parents? Um, Then there's uh, sensitive matters like, do you still live with your parents? Uh, Is that a sin or not? Um, there's also the problem of the parent-child relationship, which is at the heart of in-law problems. And what that means is that, uh, you know, there is no adult relationship. The mom still acts like a mom, and the adult child still acts like a child. And so the mother has added to, I don't care if you're 50 years old, you're still my baby. And so when these things happen, in-law problems get very serious. Then there's also a category called the man in the middle where the man's trying to please everyone. He's trying to please his mom. He's trying to please his wife. And uh, he's stuck in the middle. And uh, in the end, he loses. And his wife is very upset that he has not uh, supported or protected her. And then historically, 
there has been a problem with the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, the tension between the two. And so again, uh, category number three, in-laws is just so big that sometimes in counseling, we get stuck on this for weeks because there's so much hurt feelings and misunderstandings and, and so forth. Uh, the fourth category is sex. And sex is, my goodness, such a major issue filled with complications, filled with misunderstandings. Most people, their knowledge of sex is not from the Bible. It's from Hollywood and their friends or what they learn from wherever. And so sex sounds exciting, but, uh, you know, in all my counseling experience, I had to deal with declining desires, declining priority, the loss of purpose, the rise of uh, temptations and distractions, and then ultimately a sexless marriage where they'll go for years and not have sex. And then there's all kinds of gender differences and misunderstandings, which can lead to then loss of hope, loss of intimacy, and the list goes on and on. And I've done many, many workshops on sex. And every time I finish it, I feel like there's more to be done. And so category number four, uh, sex is a big one here. And then last but not least, number five uh, is really big, and that is spouse roles. And so here's where, apart from the other four, you really get into the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a husband. And uh, what does it mean to be a man, first of all, and then a husband? And then how is he supposed to relate to his wife? And there's some major biblical passages he's got to understand. And then uh, to the wife. She's got to understand what it means to be a godly wife. And it's got to start with Genesis 2.18. You know, I will create a helper suitable. And boy, is that passage misunderstood. And so there's just a lot of work there. So spouse roles is number five. And so we've got five here, uh, communication, conflict resolution, in-laws, sex, and spouse roles. And what I do is, again, when marriages come to me and they're just so broken, I literally have to just sit them down and go over all five and say, this is our itinerary. This is our plan. This is how we're going to fix this marriage back. And so to answer your question about what are the important aspects, if you cover these five areas and really begin to apply what God's word says, that's how you get the marriage back on track. That those were just all so excellent. And you know, I even appreciate that you brought up the in-laws because that's such a big yeah. thing. When you get married, that was a big eye-opener for me when I got married here. Now I've got my husband's family and they do things very different. And my exactly. mother-in-law isn't always happy with me and, you know, <laughs> that conflict. And we had to work through a lot of those things. And and I think of, I think each of the things that you brought up here, we had in our we dealt with in our own premarital counseling. Great, so. great. Yeah, and um, I just speak generally how churches and just the Christian world in general are not teaching about in-laws. Uh, there's very few material out there uh, that's from a biblical perspective. And so, you know, I've been doing this for such a long time, but it's, it's still very sad that there isn't quality resources that people can have to understand what the Bible has to say. So definitely have more work to do. Hmm. You know, a few of the things that you mentioned on those areas where we should focus are 
I think we would say common sources of conflict. Are there any other common sources of conflict in marriage that we should be aware of? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the list is endless. It really is because we're pretty good at starting problems, right? We're pretty good at uh, causing conflicts. And so, and <laughs> everybody's different that, you know, the list is, is just so long. But uh, let me just mention three things real quick. And if you guys want more, I'll be glad because, you know, after all these years of doing this 30 plus years, my goodness, the list is so long. But why don't we start with the number one source of conflict, which is selfishness. Selfishness is the number one source. And so, um, you know, we think about ourselves. That's That's the sobering truth. And we want to receive whatever and fail to understand what it says in Acts chapter 20, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so a major source of conflict is your own uh, personal sin uh, that comes out of selfishness. The second one is more of a relational dynamic, and that is unmet expectations. Now a major source is your unmet expectations. And let's face it, we all come into marriage with a pile of expectations. And when those expectations are not met, they begin to pile in our hearts and become sources of conflict. And it reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, What causes fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that are in your heart or desires that are battling? There's a military analogy there, battling inside your heart. So you've got these unmet expectations, and uh, that's why the fighting intensifies, because the more they're not met, you just uh, keep using them as uh, ammunition that is uh, added to the conflict. So you got selfishness, unmet expectations. And uh, number three, um, this is kind of interesting. I don't really have a good name for it, but I'm going to call it things we used to love. And what that means is that we, uh, most of us marry someone who is the opposite of us. And in the beginning, in the dating period, you know, we find the differences very refreshing. We actually love it. And, but as time passes, the very things we used to love, we begin to hate. We don't love them anymore. Oh, he's uh, whatever. He's so uh, quiet and calm. And I love that, you know, but then later you hate that because he, he doesn't say anything or he's so boring or whatever. So we love it in the beginning and then we hate it later. And it actually becomes a major source of conflict. And so I like to call it love first, hate later. And so I see this very common that people have forgotten why they even fell in love, why they decided to even get married, because so much time has passed and they hate the very things that they used to love. And so that now becomes a source of conflict uh, that is very, very strong uh, in uh, in marriages. You know, um, I'm so glad you brought up the selfishness. And I don't even... A lot of times people will give very practical things, like when you say, what are sources of conflict? And they'll say Mm -hmm. finances or um, sex, or they'll say things like that. But I really think the things that you brought up really are the source of even some of those other types of conflict. I appreciate that very much. Um, Definitely the specific things have to be dealt with in counseling um, in order to move forward. But at the heart of those things is a bad heart. It's a selfish heart. Uh, Even in sex, you're right. That selfishness is there because sex 
the, the godly dynamic is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. But sex has been seen as kind of a selfish maneuver. Get what you want rather than thinking about the other person. So definitely, um, I'm just speaking generally here uh, because the question was more about sources of conflict. And so the source is really a bad heart. You know, it really goes back to what is in your heart. And I guess to put it simply, you are the reason why there's a conflict. It's your, it's your sinful heart. So yeah, a lot of practical examples we could give, but it does source back in the condition of our heart. Yeah. And so on you, I should probably mention to our listeners that you have a Facebook group, a Titus two Facebook group and where you talk about marriage and on Tuesday nights, there's a talk live Tuesday and sometimes you lead those and there's other people that do some of them, but I've heard you talk before about conflict in marriage. What, what are some ways for resolving conflict because I, and I know there's not always going to be, you know, it's going to be different kinds of conflict and some of them will last longer than others, be long-term or short. So easy when conflict comes to deal with it in such a way that it makes the problem even worse instead of dealing with it in a way that brings healing and, and peace to the relationship. Yeah, that's another big question. I do want to offer a caveat before I answer it, and that is in counseling, um, it gets very specific because um, every couple, the relational dynamic is different. There's a lot of specifics of people's disposition and personalities, their history. So many things come into play that when you really get down to the nitty gritty, all of those things have to be talked about uh, to resolve the conflicts that are in. And so in real counseling situations, it gets very, very specific and can take a very, very long time. Um, but to answer your question just in kind of a, a general way um, as to how you resolve and how we can be proactive about it, um, yeah, again, just very generally, I would say number one is you have to deal with your own sins. That's the only way to kind of head off the problem at the pass. You know, because if you're acting, asking about a proactive way to deal with problems, um, you, you have to start by first looking at yourself. Deal with your own sins. That's number one. It's, it's about personal discipline because conflict ultimately is sourced back in your heart. You know, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6.45. He says the good man, um, the good, in other words, his point, he, he talked about the good man and the bad man and that what comes out of his mouth is because of the good or the bad that is in his heart. So just a very simple outline there. And then he ends it by saying, for out of the overflow of the heart, the man speaks. And so really the problem is, it's your bad heart. And your bad heart is now saying those abusive things. Your bad heart is keeping a record of wrongs. Your bad heart is refusing to forgive refusing to repent. I mean, I could go into some horrific examples and, and I won't. They're just so disturbing. But, you know, counseling can be a very dark place where a lot of stuff comes out and a lot of horrific decisions are made that break people's hearts and their lives. And it is sourced back into your heart that has 
um, been the problem, the reason why those decisions and those things were said. So number one, deal with your own sins is the most proactive way of, of heading off any problems and so forth. Uh, there's a phrase that I use. Um, Self-inventory is the beginning of conflict resolution. And so you got to take inventory of yourself. That is the beginning of conflict resolution. So that's number one. Again, the, the question is, uh, how do we you know, resolve just some general strategies of marital conflicts? I would say, first and foremost, that's number one, deal with your own sin. Number two is cover your spouse's sins. You know, I, I just want to say straight up to your listeners, you don't have to confront every little thing that your spouse has done wrong. You don't have to openly argue about every little thing. That's going to tear any relationship down. You know, we have to remember that love covers a multitude of sins. And our first choice ought to be to forgive. Can we cover it? Not every conflict is a life and death issue. And I just think that people don't take the time to just consider that option. Hey, just cover it. Don't let it get to you so much. You know, save yourself for the bigger issues that need to be talked about. And by the way, I deal with, I, I talk about that in counseling or not. I, I use the phrase, um, bigger fish to fry. And it's the idea that we have a goal. Uh, we have bigger conflict issues that we have to deal with. We don't need to be sidetracked by every little thing that irritates you. And so some of these things, because we have a bigger fish to fry, we're going to have to just choose to cover it, kind of uh, forgive. And let's move on to the bigger issues that are breaking your marriage. And so I, I just wanted to challenge and encourage your listeners that, that you don't have to confront every little thing, but just cover it, forgive, and move on. I always say that grace is so important when we're mindful yes. of the grace that the Lord has shown us we should be gracious with other people and our husband, our, our spouse for husbands, it would be their wife so much. And I love that you said, we don't have to make a big deal out of every little thing. And when we had premarital counseling, our pastor, he actually had one of the, one of the sections was don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. That's a great expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To this question about resolving marital conflict, I mean, the list is endless, just like the other questions. I mean, these are such big, big topics. And again, uh, for people to really make improvements, it needs to be customized because every marriage is different, different personalities, so many things. And that's one of the things that I've learned. I mean, in the beginning, 30 some years ago, you know, my counseling was not as refined as it is now, where uh, it was more like textbook knowledge and you know, telling them what's right and what's wrong. But, you know, as I grew in my understanding, I realized you really got to take God's word and carefully apply it into the specific things and addressing their dispositions, recognizing that people do marry someone that is the complete opposite of them and how that dynamic plays out and, you know, how sin is going to be there and so many things. So again, the list could be go on and on. We could even talk about wisdom and timing again, reading the moment and choosing to wait. That's a great proactive maneuver. Um, uh, again, I could just go on and on. Um, I also want to say that in, in my years of counseling, sex has been a major uh, source of conflict. And uh, 
I have often just said to, to couples, and as I'm trying to repair their sexual relationship, that they need to get into a regular sexual relationship. And, um, you know, unfortunately, sex is sometimes the first thing to go when, you know, Colleen, you're talking about young moms and with children and being so busy and having such a crazy lifestyle, hectic and with all the distractions. Uh, sometimes regular sex seems like something from the distant past. And, you know, as I'm speaking to the ladies right now, you know, your listeners, uh, it's just so important to have a regular sex life. Uh, experts say that the measure uh, of your, the, the health, I should say, of, of your sex life does reflect back on the health of your overall marriage. And so if your sex life is in shambles, it's possible that your marriage is in shambles as well. And so um, I've done so many audios, so many tutorials, and it just seems like that's not going to end because the problems just continue. And I don't want to give your listeners, by the way, any, uh, any kind of notion that I'm suggesting that it's the woman's fault or, or anything like that. There are a lot of guys who shut it down and don't want to have sex. I've counseled guys like that. Uh, I counseled one guy who, was, who never had sex, if you can imagine that. Uh, not even on the wedding night. And the marriage lasted, and it's still going now. But uh, when I met them, they were eight years into their marriage and didn't have sex. So guys are just as much at fault. I do think that both sides need to uh, make an effort. And uh, there's so much uh, wonderful things that can happen if you have a regular healthy sex life. So again, many other things we can talk about in terms of answering this question of, kind of a wise and healthy approach to resolving conflict. So many proactive uh, strategies that we can use to head off problems at the pass. You know, you were just talking about um, the busyness of having young children and how that can affect things. Um, you know, we actually speak with a lot of moms with young children. I have young children and um, having young children can be difficult, um, a difficult season for a marriage. And so we were wondering what are some of the things a couple can do during that um, time of their life to make sure they're making the marriage relationship a priority? Oh, wow. That is a, a really big question. Very important. And I want to start off by first paying respects to all the moms out there with young children and the sacrifices the hardships, the busyness, the fatigue, uh, the dizziness. I mean, sometimes you can't even think straight. Mom's trying to feed the kids during dinner time and then after dinner, not even know if they even ate anything. You know, it's just crazy. It's a crazy, crazy life. So all, all respects to, to moms. Um, uh, my wife and I, we've been married 33 years and uh, we remember uh, very fresh how uh, difficult that period. We have three kids. Uh, two of them are out of the house now. Our youngest is 17. And so uh, we went through that period. It was not easy. But I also want to say that uh, in comparison, and no disrespect to the young moms at all, I'm going to say that it actually gets a little crazier as they grow because as the children grow, they now have their own um, agenda. They got their friends. They got their drama and complexities and heartaches and you know, sometimes uh, you long for those days when it was easier, when you're just changing diapers and feeding them and bathing them, you know. So um, it actually gets very, very difficult as more drama and complexities come 
uh, into life. But having said that, I'm going to give an answer that I think applies to every chapter. So if your listeners are young moms, if your listeners are, you know, pregnant with child or whatever life stage or older children, adult children or empty nesting, whatever the situation is right now, I believe the answer is the same. Uh, the question involves two things. You mentioned distractions. So I'm going to say distractions are a major factor in every chapter of life. And again, all respects to the young moms with young children. But distractions continue on, even if your kids are in high school. Uh, sometimes you're even more busier and then don't prioritize. So the first word definitely uh, is a big one, distractions. But then there's another word that you use that is just as important, if not more, and that is priority. And so I'm going to say distractions versus priority is the dynamic in every chapter of life. It continues all the way into empty nesting and retirement. And so before I answer, I'll give a positive answer as to how to fix this. I just want to take just a minute and uh, just kind of talk about what happens to the marriage when uh, distractions take over, when um, priorities are lost. And uh, just three things real quick. I'm going to say that the distractions are going to lead to three major problems. It's going to lead to the degeneration of companionship. And that's a huge topic, by the way, the theology of companionship, what it means to, uh, to be married and then to live together. That whole thing is just uh, destroyed because you don't have time for each other. You allow distractions now to dominate. And so there's no time to be with each other, build relationships, have dinner together. You know, the basic things of life that are at actually the essence of a marriage is lost. Number two is the decline of sex. You know, your sex life is now shot because of all the busyness, the fatigue, kids uh, sleeping in your bed. And uh, I'm not suggesting that the bed is the only place you can have a sexual relationship. But, you know, it is a factor, you know, kids sleeping in your bed. And if you have three kids and they each take turns sleeping in your bed and then graduating from that, what is that? Like 15 years of kids sleeping in your bed? Well, that's going to kill your sex life. There's also number three, which I think is very big. And that is if you let distractions kind of destroy your priorities and just take your focus away. Number three is something I deal with a lot. And that is depression and midlife crisis. And again, I don't have the time to unpack all this, but it's kind of the feeling that your life did not turn out the way you wanted to. And this impacts women more than men. And uh, again, just a general comment, men have regrets as well, you know, but women often, because they're so much more relational, uh, spend more time evaluating. And so they start feeling things like, well, all this sacrifice, all this hard work, and there's no return on the investment. You know, kids didn't turn out right. Uh, so many terrible things of that go wrong. And so you feel like, you know, your life is a failure. Marriage is a failure. The family is completely broken. And so all these things happen because you took your eyes off the priorities. You let all the distractions begin and now it impacts your mind. And so now you want to uh, just run away, just get away. I met with a couple last night where the woman just said, I just want to go away. Get out of this marriage and get out of this family. And so there are also others that uh, 
what, wait until the kids go off to college and they think that's the time, you know, to uh, leave the marriage. And so all these things happen because of distractions, being too busy, taking your eyes off the priority. And so I just wanted to spend a minute there just to kind of talk about just how bad this is and how really important your question is about um, getting the priority right and uh, dealing with the distractions. And to all the young mothers out there, God bless you and just uh, all respects to you and older mothers, whatever chapter of life that you're in, uh, the answer is the same. I'm just going to give you three quick answers. Number one is go back to your wedding vows. On that wedding day, the, an the question was asked and you had to answer it with two words. Do you love him, honor him, cherish him, so long as you both shall live? And you said, I do. You need to go back to that original wedding vow. The husband needs to go back to that original wedding vow. I believe the biggest mistake that is made in marriage is forgetting that wedding vow and becoming distracted because the priority is applying that wedding vow to love, to honor, to cherish, till death do you part. Meaning, get back to the real work, putting your energies, your heart and soul into carrying out that wedding vow that you made in the presence of God and all his people. I don't think enough work has been done in areas of how the spouse has forgotten that. In fact, in the Bible, it actually uses the word forgetting, forgetting the covenant of marriage. Proverbs chapter 2 talks about the woman that forgot. That's verse 16. Malachi chapter 2, I think it's verse 14 and 15, talks about how the man forgot. And so this problem of forgetting is not a mental issue. This is a spiritual issue of forgetting the covenantal promise of investing in the relationship. So no matter what chapter you are in, and I get it. I remember how hard it was uh, when my wife and I were young and uh, we were a young family but it didn't get any easier. It got very complex. And there were much more heartaches that um, uh, were waiting for us in the later chapters. And there were times we were distracted and uh, we did not focus on our priorities, but it's about getting back to the wedding vows and uh, keeping them, fulfilling them. So that's number one. Number two is make time for your marriage. I know that sounds real simple, but I really don't like all this emphasis on quality time. I think we need to get back to quantity time. We need to start focusing on quantity because if it's a priority, you need to set aside quantity of time. 10 minutes here or there is not going to cut it, okay? A hug and a kiss here or there is not going to cut it. If there are distractions, you need to put them in a lesser position. Okay, and again, I, I know the reaction, okay, and I've been there, been there and done that, uh, how difficult it is to uh, set aside the, the nonstop demands of young children. But uh, there's got to be creative ways. Uh, I'll be honest with you, we had a hard time because our grandparents were not near us. We never had the luxury of them coming over and giving us a break. And so I know it was very difficult. But I'm going to stand by what I say, that if it's not a priority, don't let it run you over. Get babysitting. 
get other things, free up time, make time is what I'm really saying. And so in a marriage, we have to just simply make time. Uh, I'm personally a, a big planner. I like to take out my calendar and, and plan things and constantly work that over, especially as a counselor. Boy, things are changing all the time. And so I'm always taking the calendar out. And I'm always moving things around. But the point is, what is of importance to me, that gets the time. That gets the quantity of time. And so the truth is, if a marriage is not healthy, you're going to, you know, avoid it. You're not going to give a quantity of time to, to it. Sometimes moms will hide behind the work of raising the kids. Sometimes dads will stay late at work because they, they don't want to come home. And so there is no investment of time. And so to be honest, if you're not going to invest time, it's really not a priority. It's not going to grow. And so the, the question had the word priority in it. If it's a priority, we need to make time for it. So even with sex, you know, we got to get that Hollywood notion of uh, spontaneity out with the wind blowing through the curtains and how everything is so spontaneous and perfect. But uh, we need to make time. Set aside a time and not... Uh, break promises and actually be there and uh, invest time in each other. So that's number two. And uh, number three is uh, you need to get into a mentoring situation because if you're just by yourself and trying to figure this out, you know, you can get kind of lost. You can get very discouraged. You can feel very lonely. And so getting into situations where people are uh, mentoring you, holding you accountable, you can get support. Um, Angela, you mentioned the Titus to community. That's one of the things we provide as a support, which is much more than online. It, it's very, very real and very, very strong in the way people rally around, support one another, make time and pray for one another and things. We need to do those things. And within there uh, is mentoring formally and, and counseling. And people ask, well, well, how long is that? And I'm going to say, that God has designed it to be a lifestyle. We need to always have big brothers and big sisters in our lives. We always need to have somebody that's going to counsel us and help us uh, to be faithful in all of these things. And so, so absolutely, again, these are just three general uh, answers. But to a young mom who is so busy and I'm going to say maybe even lost in all of that and not seeing what the goals are, or distracted and all of those things, uh, she's going to need a big sister in her life that's going to hold her accountable and maybe help her to uh, organize her life better. So uh, I apologize. That was kind of a long answer, but um, I wanted to pay respects to that question that it really is a big one. And uh, again, as a counselor, I always uh, worry that if people are so distracted and so busy and not prioritizing their marriage, What's going to happen when empty nesting happens? What yeah. about them? When the children are no longer there and now you feel so awkward being with your spouse all alone because you spent all those years not even talking, no quality conversation. And now, you know, so many things can go wrong. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. And I want to just second everything you just said there. I know that for my husband and I, the mentoring thing, finding an older couple you can spend time with, that is so important. And when you get older, then you can invest in a younger couple. 
And the other thing is the time. One thing that we did is we said at a certain time at night, that was our time. The kids were in bed, you know, when the kids were young, the kids were in bed, everything else. If the house wasn't perfectly clean, then we left it because that was our time to be together. We still do that, actually. That's great. And that's... And sometimes you have to be purposeful in doing things like that, especially during the busier times exactly. of life. And, yeah. and the other thing we did is because our we didn't have either of our parents nearby until my kids were a little bit older. My parents moved here and we couldn't always find a babysitter, but we would do an at-home date. So we would um, have the kids in bed, order takeout, do a candlelight dinner. And we'd have a date at home. Okay, that sounds great. And if you don't have a lot of money, that's awesome, you know, a good option too. So Mm -hmm. one of the things, this comes up quite often with ladies in our group, and that is they find themselves in an unequally yoked marriage. And specifically, they um, are married to a non-Christian. They have a situation where they went through a period of rebellion and, and got married, or they became a Christian after they got married. And you know how difficult that that is. Do you have any encouragement for um, our gals that are in that situation? Uh, that's a very big one, very difficult. It involves many layers and many perspectives and applications. and. Uh, Wow. Uh, first of all, um, with all due respects and the long-standing um, concept of unequally yoked, um, I would prefer that uh, that term not be used because in Second Corinthians chapter six, the context is not about marriage. It's about being connected to uh, unbelieving teachers, false teachers. And so over the years, I don't know what happened, but that phrase unequally yoked has been connected to marriage, but uh, the original context was not about marriage. And so I wanted to say that. No, that's um, helpful. Thank you. Yes. So I, I never used that phrase, although I understand the concept of, of what you're saying, you know, of yoked and then trying to go in the same direction and how difficult uh, that would be. And clearly it is difficult. Um, it's related. There's other gradations of that where, uh, let's say they're both, uh, believers, but one is so much more mature in the uh, Lord and the other one doesn't even want to try. And it almost seems like that person's an unbeliever. So there's just so many dynamics that I'm actually, um, setting up guest speakers inside the Titus two community. And we're going to begin to address this, but, um, yeah, I have counseled actually many couples where things have not been balanced and uh one side is a believer the other is not very very complicated i've done actually marriage counseling and this sounds crazy but i've done marriage counseling where both are participating one is a flaming atheist and the other is a committed christian and uh it's it's kind of crazy but you just have to enter into situations and, and do what you can where you challenge, encourage, and come up with a plan where the believer, uh, through the actions, godly actions and words and so forth, uh, display the Christian life. I'm talking about First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then hopefully 
that type of uh, behavior would be inspirational, uh, would make a difference. And, um, you know, there's, there's hope there. And, and, and in counseling, you have to instill the hope that your godly behavior, um, the strategies that we come up with, applications, uh, in the counseling, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, specific things on how they live and decisions that are made. All of these things are come into play. And then you would hope that the unbelieving spouse would take notice and uh, begin to uh, warm up to the faith and maybe even come uh, to believe. So I would say First Peter chapter 3 uh, is the classic passage uh, to be uh, dealt with. But, but yeah, um, I'm not sure how far we can get into to this because it is a very, very serious thing that involves so many complications. But I do want to say, uh, hang in there, uh, be a great example, be inspirational, uh, don't hold back your faith. A lot of times there's kind of an intimidation. Uh, be, be strong in your mind, uh, continue to apply the word. Even when I counseled an unbeliever, uh, he was an unbeliever and she was uh, a believer and they invited me to be there counselor i'm still their counselor by the way after many sessions and he has even though he's an atheist come to really like me and um i don't hold back he knows who i am and i think my point is again you have to live out your faith you have to say what you believe and um you know if they choose to stay and uh, in in that marriage you continue to to do that so i'm feeling a little bad right now in the sense that the answer is very general because True situation like that, and, and I am counseling true situations like that, there are a lot of unique details that you have to counsel them through as to how they're going to continue to be a believer uh, in that kind of situation. The kinds of stuff that have to be discussed so that the spouse lives like a Christian and lives with hope and faith. I'm just wondering if your advice to our single listeners um, who are believers would be to, you know, if they have, it does come up sometimes in our group that um, if they have begun a relationship that might be moving towards marriage with an unbeliever, would your advice to that person be that they are um, moving towards something that that's, ultimately going to be a very difficult um, future? Yes, no doubt. In every way, it breaks God's design because it isn't just about, oh, you know, he's a nice guy or, you know, maybe he will believe someday. But, I mean, the, the guy is called to be the spiritual leader. He's called to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He's called to sacrifice and protect his family as Christ did. And with all of these things, how can he do that if he is not a believer, not committed to the word? And so I absolutely hold to the position. And by the way, I do counsel singles who are in that type of situation. And they're very conflicted in their hearts. And understandably, these are very powerful emotions of bonding and being attracted physically and emotionally and they've already invested quite a bit so you know i don't you know stand on my soapbox and yell at them get all preachy i, I don't do that you know i am counseling one person right now where you know it's been months of counseling 
And thank God, uh, in this case, he is a very committed believer, but he, he knew what was right, but it took him some time to work through and then eventually break that relationship. He had to hold to a higher standard. And I think counseling, again, is a very, it has to be a very gentle process, very sensitive, a very empathetic thing you know, of how they have come to know one another, but, um, and to articulate and to visualize for them what kind of a marriage that's going to be, how limiting that is going to be, that God's true design of growing together spiritually, because one of the most basic dynamics, and I want to make this clear to all your listeners, is that by being a wife, you are supposed to make your husband's life better. He's going to grow spiritually. In every way, he is better off because he is married to you and vice versa, okay? That uh, all of those things apply. The husband has to make his wife's life better. I mean, it talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, how husbands have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And most Christian men know that. But there is a phrase there that I think they need to take to heart. And that's the phrase, washing her with the word. And of course, the woman is responsible for her own sanctification. But to say that is to say that the man is so spiritually invested and such a leader in her life that he's taking the very word of God and using the washing analogy as kind of a cleansing effect, a sanctifying effect. He's washing her with the word of God. In other words, he's making her grow. And uh, I could give you so many beautiful examples of that of restoration and reconciliation where the man has washed his wife with the word. And I'm just going to say straight out, can an unbelieving man do that? And I think the answer is obvious. And so if the relationship is beginning to move in that direction, I'm going to strongly discourage it. Okay. So there I said it. I'm going to strongly discourage it because it's going to be almost impossible unless some miracle of God that he, you know, finds the Lord and, and matures quickly, you know, that he could be that spiritual leader. And I know there are some exceptions and exceptional examples of that. But I'm just going to say, you know, that is not God's ideal plan. Well, you have just given us so much to think about. And I know, like you said, we could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> yes about the subject, but just so, so much great stuff. And we're going to link where people can find you, um, the Titus 2 community, for those that would be interested. I know that some of the gals from our group are already part of the community. Yes. And so you might get a, another influx of requests to join the community. That'll be and great. <laughs> on Tuesday nights, I highly recommend the Talk Live Tuesdays where you have, sometimes it's you, sometimes it's Don, sometimes it's um, other people that you bring in to really discuss a lot of different topics. You have yeah. had people on there that have talked about marital intimacy. Yes. And from a biblical perspective. And, and you've talked about conflict and you've talked about some of the things we've talked about tonight. So if you are looking for some encouragement in marriage, that is a great place for you and connecting with other people too. 
I think it's yes. a, a great place to do that. So mm -hmm. thank you so much oh, my for joining us. We, yeah. we really, really enjoyed it. Yes, thank you so much. So uh, looking forward to, to your great ministry and all the awesome things you're doing and teaching the word. I love it. So I'm going to be promoting uh, your ministry as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We encourage you to check out the Titus 2 ministry. Titus 2 ministry is a training and counseling ministry based on the model of Titus 2, where older believers are mentoring younger believers. And they apply this to training of pastors, leaders, and counselors. And they also provide counseling services and mentoring opportunities to believers. I've linked in the episode notes the Titus 2 community website and also a link to the online group that has grown to over a thousand members and even has counselors and pastors. They also provide video counseling for believers all over the world. Then I've also linked Tay's website, PastorTay.com, where he does full-time coaching and his counseling ministry. So we strongly encourage that you check out these resources. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.